Hello captives and captive friends and welcome to GCP 55, supported by legacy specialists R&Q and hosted by me, Richard Kutcher. We have got an exciting guest co-host and topic lined up for the next 30 minutes or so, which I will introduce shortly, but it is that time of year where we tend to do a bit of a look back. And so in place of our regular captive owner slot, we're going to feature a few clips of some of the exciting new captive formations that we've had the privilege to spotlight over the past 12 months. As you know, there is a lot of new captive activity at the moment, and we've tried really hard to bring those stories to you. So particularly if you have missed any episodes or want a reminder of some previous guests, hopefully our short segment coming up at the halfway stage will be a useful prompt to scroll back through the back catalogue to catch up or revisit some really great guests. But from new captives to potentially new domiciles, as we have discussed previously on the pod, there is a growing movement, particularly in continental Europe at the moment, for the larger industrial nations to be exploring whether they should become more captive friendly. And those discussions have been happening here in the UK as well. In June this year, the London Market Group went public with its ambitions to make the capital a hub for captive insurance. So to give us some detail and exclusive details to be honest and context i'm delighted to say joining us as our guest co-host is sean mcgovern ceo for the uk and lloyds at axa xl but very much speaking to us in his capacity as a board member for the london market group with responsibility for the business environment including government relations so sean welcome to the global captive podcast hi richard great to be with you yeah, Sean, really, really good to have you on. I really do appreciate uh, your time. For our listeners uh, around the world who, who may not be as familiar with the London Market Group, could you perhaps begin by giving us a brief outline of its role in the industry? Sure. Uh, I mean, maybe start with um, with a word on, on what the London Market is and then talk about the role of the LMG. I mean, the London Market is the largest insurance and reinsurance market in the world. Um, it, it draws into it uh, about $100 billion of gross written premium every year. Uh, just to give um, listeners a, a sort of a sort of scale of that, that's that's double the size of, of the Bermuda insurance and reinsurance markets, so just to put it in, in perspective. And and the market is a is truly an international market. It draws in risks from all over the all, all over the world. They, the risks come to London seeking risk management uh, uh, solutions, uh, and then equally the capital that backs. The market also comes uh, uh, globally, and that capital and that risk, you know, that, that's matched uh, by professionals in the market, in the London market. It's underwriters, brokers. It's the ecosystem of of all of the the, the professional advisors, uh, and it employs about forty seven thousand people. So, this is a very large uh, segment of the UK financial services industry, and the London market group seeks to represent um, collectively all of the different aspects. Of the of, of the businesses that make up the London market, with a particular emphasis, obviously, on the the, the carriers and on and on the brokers. And our role, particularly, it relates to the subject we're talking about today, is is to engage with the government, um, really, to uh, promote the market, to make sure that uh, stakeholders understand the importance of the market, and really to to represent the interests of the entire London market as effectively as as we can. 
So the reason you've joined us as you've kind of started to touch upon there, Sean, is um, is on the 7th of June, uh, the London Market Group published its five-point plan asking for relative regulatory and legislative changes in the UK insurance market. Obviously, we're in very much a kind of a post-Brexit era now, and I know that many industries are looking to see how we can uh, evolve further. We will dive into the captives part specifically in, in more detail in a moment, but what are the overall aims? Of, of these proposals and, and why have you, have you published them now? So, so the overall aims of the proposals, uh, Richard, is really to take opportunity that we have now, as you saying, in a, in a post-Brexit world, uh, to really look at what, what do we need to partner with government uh, and with our regulators on uh, to ensure that we can set a, a path to seeing the market in London continue to, to grow, continue to to deepen, um, and, I, and I firmly believe we do have an opportunity. You know, obviously, Brexit has been—it's been all-consuming um, uh, politically. It's been a massive distraction for for our, for our businesses and, and for, indeed for our, our regulators. Uh, and there is an opportunity as the government is looking to promote, you know, its focus on a global Britain. It is actually, you know, what is it that we would want the government to do that would be supportive of seeing. Uh, the market continue to grow, develop, and, and deepen, and that is really behind the five-point plan that we that we published. So it's about creating the right conditions um, in the business environment that will allow the London market to really thrive and and grow. And that really relates to you know making sure that we have the right regulatory framework uh, in place and there's a big focus on various aspects of, of regulation i'm sure we'll come on to talk about those specifically related to to captives but also looking for opportunities for the london market that arise out of the government's outward looking trade and investment uh, push post brexit to really uh, focus on winning new opportunities for london in new markets yeah, and so one of those uh, new markets, I think it's fair to say that the, the report identifies is, is the captive market. In, in the fourth point of the LMG document, it, it calls for the promotion of a UK captive market. Uh, some people may remember that there have been a handful of captives in the UK in the past, you know, going back 10, 20, and even about 80 or so years ago. I think one of my favorite stories in the captive market, Sean, is, is the Salvation Army uh, actually used to have a captive or does have a captive. It probably wouldn't call itself a captive anymore. It writes commercial insurance, but the Salvation Army had a captive going back about 80 or so years. It still exists. Um, other companies have had captives in the UK before, but it's fair to say that it's not a particularly uh, friendly or, or captive uh, friendly environment uh, regulatory wise um, why do you think now then might be an opportunity to to, to produce uh, or provide a kind of complementary addition to the London's you know as you said world leading reinsurance center with the introduction of a, of a captive environment uh, I mean we uh, you will know better than me I mean obviously the the global captive market is huge and growing. Uh, and growing significantly. I mean, it's estimated to be about $54 billion of, in, of premium uh, globally. And as I said, that, that is growing uh, significantly. We don't have any real captive market in the UK. And that is despite the fact that, that actually uh, many companies come to the UK to tap into the expertise that exists in the London market in terms of 
you know, constructing captives, in particular the brokers, uh, assisting uh, risk managers in understanding how best to structure their their risk management needs. So there's a lot of expertise in the market. The market in London, obviously, the largest insurance and reinsurance subscription market in, in, in the world. And with all that experience, with all that ecosystem, it seems to be a lost opportunity that the, you know, much of the value added activity takes place in London. However, uh, you know, we're, you know, we're currently advising uh, risk managers to locate their, their captives in other jurisdictions around the world. And, and, you know, that seems to be a lost opportunity. And of course, we know that there are many UK public sector bodies, um, you know, be it Transport for London, Network Rail, etc. They have captives, uh, but they are based uh, they are based overseas. So if we can capture just you know a modest proportion of the current global captive market that, that is that is growing significantly, you know, we can bring you know real economic activity, capital, jobs uh, back into the UK. UK market, and I think there are, you know, in addition to the to the strengths that we have as a marketplace in terms of the expertise. Obviously, we have a, a regulatory regime that is respected. You know, we we're calling for some level of of modernisation and reform to that. But it, it does, you know, we think the business environment with some modest changes could be very attractive um, for the for locating captives uh, in the future. Yeah, we'll come on to that uh, that kind of uh, business environment in in the second half of, of of the conversation. I think I think it's really fascinating what the London market is trying to do because we're seeing a similar move in in France and Italy. Funnily enough, in in France and Italy, it's been driven very much by the risk management associations. I do know that London Market Group is obviously uh, in discussions with Airmic here in the UK about about what they want to do, and, and there seems to be a move across Europe to try and build more kind of home captive friendly regulatory environments so with, with that in mind and, and, the, and the idea that as you say you know lots of uk public bodies already have captives the the, the, the most popular or common uh, captive jurisdictions for kind of uk-based entities tends to be guernsey and isle of man but not exclusively so um what captive domiciles do you expect london to be in competition with or, or do you think that's kind of an irrelevance for you guys you're absolutely right um there is clearly a growing preference to locate captives onshore uh, rather than in offshore or offshore location and and you know solvency too you know to some degree did did level the playing field or should have leveled the playing field for competition to captives within within the eu and indeed there are many eu jurisdictions that historically have become very popular uh, because they have chosen to implement and interpret Solvency II in a, in a slightly different way, and I would argue in a more proportionate way when it comes to reflecting the true nature of the risks that captives uh, present to the regulatory system. So, you know, just to, to name but a few that we would inevitably be in to, 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 in to agree some competition with would be Ireland, which has offer, adopted a differential uh, supervisory a- approach uh, to the captive market. So they have reduced the, the number of requirements uh, that they impose on, on captives. Um, and that clearly contributes to making Ireland a very attractive place to locate captives. Equally, you know, uh, Luxembourg has done has done, done something uh, similar. And indeed in Switzerland, we've, we've also seen some adaptations uh, for, the, for the regime there to reflect the nature of, of, of the risk that captives uh, present. 
So we believe that, you know, we as other countries around the world are, are looking at, at, at seeing how they can generate more interest in onshore captive locations. We believe we should absolutely be doing the same. And actually, we should have a natural advantage for the reasons I said in terms of the level of expertise that is already existing in London in advising um, risk managers about you know, captive structures uh, and captive programs. So, yeah, I definitely want to drill down onto, onto the Solvency 2 topic a, a, bit, a bit later because I think it's definitely interesting and up for debate. Before we go into the second half, though, uh, Sean, what kind of response? I know that you have had uh, conversations with, with government and, and local regulatory authorities. What kind of response in those early conversations have you had in, in the captive discussion? It's been a very so, – so the five-point plan, uh, as you say, captives, is, is one of those, uh, those elements in the overall plan. Um, I, I think it's been very well received. Received, um, I have to say, and I think you know the, the government is clearly listening uh, to what business is is looking for, and I think in many ways the benefit the five point plan, uh, plan brings is is there there is a real clarity to uh, you know things we would look for government and for regulators to do that would help us be be more successful, and so we have met with. Treasury. We've met with Lord Frost, uh, who's obviously been responsible for the Brexit negotiations. We've met many times with John Glenn, the City Minister. We've also met with Number 10's uh, business advisor, and we've had several meetings with with MPs and peers who have a particular interest in in looking at the opportunities that the insurance market presents for for economic uh, economic growth. So we, you know, the, the the conversations, and and I would say we've also met with the with the PRA at very senior levels uh, to go through the whole whole five point plan on the subject of captives. There's a great deal of interest. Um, there's a great deal of interest because there, you know, when you have conversations with with them about what's going on in other jurisdictions, and the fact that this is a change that can be made with relatively modest changes to the to the existing regulatory regime, um, you know, there is a there is a great deal of interest. This doesn't require legislation. Um, you know, it doesn't require fundamental change. It just requires a change in approach um, and a more proportionate approach. So it's certainly been well received, and and we positioned this as being, frankly, a quick win, as the government is looking, you know, in a post Brexit world for opportunities to make changes that could be quite meaningful in terms of economic uh, growth. We believe this is absolutely uh, one that they should be thinking very carefully about, and it's clear that they are. So we will be back with Sean in the second half to discuss the LMG's ambitions for a London captive domicile further. But first, let's hear some of the reasons why so many captives are being formed currently. While in the first couple of seasons of the Global Captive podcast, we primarily focused on mature and established captives over the past 12 months, we've really started featuring a lot of new startup captives for a range of businesses in different sectors, countries, and of different sizes. Whether it's new and emerging areas such as crypto and cannabis, multinational giants such as Facebook, a private German construction firm setting up its second captive, or 
a municipality in Pennsylvania. There are lots of new and exciting stories to tell. And as ever, the Global Captive podcast is the only place to bring you exclusive interviews with the decision makers behind them. So as I know listeners can't always keep up with every episode, I thought we'd clip together some highlights from those interviews. There are links to the full episodes the interviews feature in, in the show notes. And we start with Janae's Markland telling us in GCP 51 why the social network formed a captive at the end of 2020. So I joined, like I said, about a year ago in April. And one of the first things that was on everybody's mind, but nobody had really a lot of time to devote to it, was developing a captive for the purposes of providing a global standard of employee benefits. So because Facebook's obviously a global company with employees in a lot of different regions, there are a variety of different employee benefits that are available and they're not consistent from region to region. And so the idea was to be able to enhance benefits in some areas, to be able to offer coverages that we wanted to that maybe weren't necessarily available in the commercial market. And so the employee benefits was the primary driver of of starting the captive for that purpose, for the purposes of improving employee benefits and employee experience. Thank you for Janae's and again a really great interview to listen to the full version in GCP 51. Going back to December now and in a GCP short produced in collaboration with Walker's Bermuda we welcomed Youssef Hussein head of risk at cryptocurrency platform Gemini to discuss why they formed a Bermuda captive in January 2020. There isn't any FDIC or CIPIC insurance provided by any government or pseudo government uh, sponsored entity for crypto. As such, in 2018, we were looking to obtain insurance for our online storage tier. During our sessions with the underwriters, we came across few underwriters that understood crypto and even fewer underwriters that were willing to underwrite crypto. Uh, Those that were willing to underwrite crypto were doing so at a significant premium because the risks weren't appropriately understood back then. This is due in part to the large headline-grabbing losses from those unregulated exchanges, which painted the entire crypto industry with the same brush. Now now that we've got that background, um, we launched the captive for multiple reasons. Like any prudent financial institution, we were looking for ways to maintain an ever-increasing insurance expenditure. Being a crypto exchange and custodian, we felt that we had the experience to underwrite and better inform premiums. And we wanted to introduce additional capacity in an already limited market. Um, Albeit the capacity is only available to Gemini at the moment, but at least we're not taking further capacity away from the existing markets. With with that, we launched Nakamoto, uh, which is our captive insurance entity in early 2020, uh, which currently insures our offline storage tier, which has seen significant growth in, in the past year. So Yousef was a, a really fantastic guest on the Global Captive podcast and I think articulated kind of the unique challenges that a, an organisation such as Gemini face, not just in the hard insurance market, but as a relatively new sector. And I think some of that can be echoed in, a, in another episode we did recently regarding uh, cannabis captives and, and the reasons why they're forming captives. But let's let's change gear a little bit and, and go over to uh, continental Europe because some businesses opt to have a multiple captive strategy often having captives in different regions and that is exactly the case for private german construction company Knauf. experienced risk manager marcus reichel came onto gcp 49 in april to outline why the group in addition to its existing vermont captive has set up a luxembourg reinsurance captive at the start of the year 
the overall um, objective of having captives for us is carry on the risk, take the risk and um, provide risk management initiatives to the group. So this is basically what we are going to use a captive for. And for us, since we are domiciled or headquartered in Germany, we saw the opportunities um, from a point of currencies, from a point of management to have an EU domiciled captive. And then we looked at various domiciles and selected Luxembourg as a most appropriate fitting our needs from a crew perspective and also from various other aspects like quality of captive management, knowledge of captive management and proximity to Germany. So a real pleasure to have uh, Marcus onto the podcast, a really uh, good friend of mine that I've known for many years and very generous with his time. So for our last spotlight then, let's go back to March of 2021, when in a GCP short produced in collaboration with the States of Vermont, we discussed the captive formation process, particularly relevant right now, and we're joined by Dan Youngs, CFO at Lancaster County Solid Waste Management Authority, also known by the acronym Luxfarma in Pennsylvania. Dan explained why they formed Sustainable Assurance Company and in turn becoming the 1,200th captive licensed by Vermont in its 40-year history as a domicile. As early as 2017, we started to see the market harden in our space, but more recently in 2019 uh, is where we really started to feel the pressure, specifically in the power generation market segment. Capacity and pricing hardened literally seemed overnight. And so as we began sorting through a 2020 renewal that was extremely challenging, it became evident that we had to think outside of the box for a, a longer term solution, providing better stability, better coverage and pricing. So uh, we needed to create a solution that gave us better control, one that allowed for direct communication with underwriters to really showcase our best in class safety and operating standards. So, and that, that's where we always felt undervalued is our track record, our loss history is near stellar for our industry. And uh, we just felt we, we didn't have the connections we needed to really emphasize that. So with the help of Steve Meckelheine and the Artex team, a pure captive quickly rose as the solution to, our, to these challenges. Uh, this would provide us that those direct relationships, both domestic and foreign, uh, as well as allowing Luxwama to more closely manage our coverage and sublimits, and ultimately then obtain direct financial reward for the continuation of our stellar loss loss record. So uh, it really became the best of both worlds, the, the, the most ideal solution. And of course, as we are a service to our community, long-term stability and, and financial uh, affordability is, is key for ongoing service. So this clearly was the solution uh, that would best serve our constituents for many years forward. Paul, they say there's more than one way to skin a cat. I believe that's also true of offloading legacy liabilities. Yes, Richard, it is. You don't need to sell or dispose of your captive to release capital back to the parent, or indeed to recycle it for future use in the captive. So what are the different options? Well, you can execute a lost portfolio transfer, which is a reinsurance structure, undertake an insurance business transfer, enter into novation or a deductible reimbursement policy. There's a whole range of solutions. And R&Q has experience in all of these types of transactions. Indeed, Richard, that's right. R&Q has completed over 70 legacy transactions with captive insurers and other self-insurance vehicles 
in traditional offshore jurisdictions, as well as those in the European Union and across the US. For the second year, R&Q is the headline partner for the Global Captive Podcast for 2020. You can find more information and contact details for their experts on globalcaptivepodcast.com. If you have legacy, you should contact R&Q. So welcome back to GCP 55, where I am still joined by Sean McGovern from the London Market Group. Sean, in in the first half, we discussed the aims of the LMG uh, regarding captives and and the progress and and, and feedback to date, and and it all sounds very positive. The LMG proposal makes the point uh, correctly that that captives are already defined under Solvency 2 in the UK, so so similar to Ireland to a degree, no no new legislation uh, would necessarily be needed, as you just mentioned, to, to facilitate captives here. I, I would say, however, that since, you know, and I'll, I'll use Ireland as an example, many captive owners in Ireland and other EU captive domiciles do remain frustrated with uh, the regulator's interpretation of the proportionality under Solvency 2 with regards to captives. And, and I, some commentators, including myself, would suggest that if the UK really wants to uh, kind of produce a successful and appealing a captive alternative than actually a bifurcated regulatory regime, similar to that achieved by Bermuda, which I'm still amazed Bermuda did actually achieve that and the EU allowed it to happen, um, which keeps Solvency 2 equivalents for commercial insurers, which I'm sure the UK is obviously committed to, but removes captives from that regime. So I think it's class one, two, and three in Bermuda. Uh, the captive classes aren't. So aren't having to adhere to Solvency 2, that would be, if the UK could achieve that, and I think it's a big if, um, would be the most appealing approach. Has, has the LNG discussed that at all or, or considered that type of regulatory system? And would it be supportive of that if it was possible? So we, we absolutely would broadly support the idea of a regulatory regime that recognises captives separately. I guess how far it needs to be extracted from Solvency 2 is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a debate that we need to have with, with our regulators. As you say, there are a number of jurisdictions who have you know, adapted the regime but not entirely disapplied it. So there is clearly you know, a balance that needs to be struck here and that's the debate that you know we as an industry need to have with the UK government, with the UK regulators, to really find where that balance should be struck and and and, and what the most pragmatic way forward is. So we're we're absolutely open to that, um, but we are also realistic that this is a journey that we're on as a as a jurisdiction. Um, and at least if we could we could move forward with a much more pragmatic interpretation and application of that proportionality, it would clearly be a, a, a major step forward. Um, but that's something we need to work forward with the, with the regulators on and make sure that we get the, the input of, of you know, the captive user experts uh, that, um, that there are. Um, so you know, we're just trying to get the process going. Uh, where it will end up will be a debate that we will need to have with, uh, with the PRA in, in particular. Yeah, and I think you know, I, I, Solvency 2 has its critics, of course it does, you know, and we've had many of them on this podcast, but it's also fair to say that many particularly large captive owners do appreciate some some elements of Solvency 2 and some uh, some of the best practice it has encouraged. So there are two sides to it. I think the, the problem 
with having a solvency to captive jurisdiction, which isn't in the EU, if you don't get that positive trade-off of the passporting and you know, writing direct across, which something like a Malta or Dublin obviously does benefit from. So having solvency to, but without that passporting, I, I think will be not that appealing. But as you say, I think some of these issues can, can certainly be worked through. Just, just lastly, Sean, the UK already has, yeah, I think a little bit under the radar sometimes, but the UK already has PCC, protected cell company legislation in place, but it's specifically for insurance linked securities uh, transactions. As PCCs are commonly used for captive business in, in offshore jurisdictions, Guernsey right on our doorstep being the particularly um, common and, and popular one, as well as across the United States and in Malta, the only EU captive option for sell captives. Would, would you support uh, and does the LMG support the, the possibility of, of opening up PCCs in the UK to, to more types of insurance business, in, including captives? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and obviously the PCC legislation in the UK is, is, is still relatively new and arguably still relatively underutilized um, for, for those types of ILS uh, transactions. But it is a natural evolution of both the protected cell use, but also uh, an evolving, you know, more proportionate um, captive regime in the UK it is a natural evolution for us to look to leverage that UK protected cell company legislation. So whilst, you know, there is a mixed use of uh, protected cell companies um, from from captive managers with, you know, certainly in the UK, the bulk of the UK corporate still using traditional single parent captives to write their own risks. Um, you know, we're, we're going to start there because I think if we can, if we can crack that, if we can create a regime that, um, you know, the, the, the PRA uh, remains happy with, that it meets their regulatory objectives, that it creates the right kind of environment, start bringing some of that captive activity onshore, then the next evolution will be how do we use the protected cell company legislation to really take captive evolution to the next level. So absolutely, we, we see that as, a, as part of the journey that we're on. Fantastic, Sean. Well, it's been fascinating to hear this update and I'm, I'm delighted that the LMG have you know, felt able to discuss it with us on, on the podcast uh, today. And I really look forward, Sean, to seeing how the plans develop. Please do keep me updated. I'll be fascinated to see how it how it plays out and hopefully we can have you back on, on the pod maybe in a year's time to see how it how it's progressed further. And uh, that is all, to, all we have time for in this GCP episode. So my thanks to all of our guests and especially Sean McGovern from AXA XL and the London Market Group. Sean, thank you for coming on to the pod. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives.